Life Audio. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Salty Saints Podcast. I'm Zach. And I'm Randy. And today we're going to be talking about the way God has worked throughout human history to bring us to himself. So we're going all the way from creation to the end of times. Yeah. So, I mean, this should be a short one, right? <laughs> right. Super, yeah. We got super what, quick. 45, 50 minutes, something like that. Barely an inconvenience, <laughs> right? <laughs> it could be so simple. Um, yeah. This one's kind of hard to summarize. That's the best we could do on on summarizing it. So buckle up and see what it is we've got in store for you. Uh, But we'll get to that right after this word from our sponsors. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Okay, Randy. So, um, this is a... Okay. Maybe we need to go back to the original text that you sent me for this episode because (laughs) I'm still laughing about it today. Because I'm going to be honest, I I don't know that I even understood what you were saying, but you were so excited about it, I knew it had to be a great episode. <laughs> so, so, Randy, I don't even remember what I was doing. I I was like in the middle. Of, you were cutting hair, weren't you? I might have been. Yeah. Yeah. I so yeah. I I cut hair as well. I work in a barber shop. Yeah. Uh, I I yeah yes I was I was at the barber shop and I get this text and it says. Possible Salty Saints topic, kingdom of God, dot, 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 historical movement from theocracy to aristocracy to xenocracy to Christocracy. And in my head, I'm going, I don't even know what half those words mean. (laughs) I said, I'm down, but we're going to have to have a catchier title. (laughs) And so we've kicked that around a little bit. Randy finally explained what he was talking about. And then I was like, yeah, this is great. Love that. So um, this is that. Let me tell you what happened. I was on (laughs) actually a different podcast. And a friend of mine talked about either a lecture he heard or a book that he read. But he said the guy divides history into three stages. There is theocracy, which goes from creation up to the point that Israel says, give us a king. Then you get monarchy. I think I called it aristocracy, but but really it's monarchy, uh, which is Israel under a king and uh, God working through kings uh, to lead Israel. And uh, then uh, my friend Oscar said uh, uh, the next stage is Christocracy, 
where you get Christ. And my devious little mind started, the wheels started spinning, and I thought, no, that's not the next stage. Because there's a time when the monarchy ends. Uh, uh, actually, other nations come in and take over. And I called that xenocracy. Uh, xenos is the uh, Greek word for foreigner. Mm. So it's foreigners in charge. And uh, Xena, warrior princess, <laughs> is the foreigner warrior princess. <laughs> okay. All right. So basically four stages throughout human history. Through this, Okay. This kind of reminds me of, uh, oh, man, places where God breaks through. What do we call that? Uh, but it's different. Uh, we 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 ended up talking about like the trees at Mamre. Oh yeah, and yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. What was yeah, the word yeah, you yeah, used yeah. there? Um, yeah, it'll come to me about halfway through. And Fair I'll enough. Blurt it out right in the middle of a sentence. <laughs> <laughs> what what's wrong with you? Uh, yeah, theophany. Theophany. Yeah, but um, but this is the way God works through us. This is a broader thing yeah. than that. Yeah. This is yeah. Much, yeah. Yeah. yeah, much less specified events and more like periods of history and how God used them. And the amazing thing is the more I've thought about that, the more uh, there are patterns that tend to take place in each one of those phases. And I think it's important because of where we end up. The Christocracy, as my friend called it, uh, and uh, the patterns that now take place uh, once Jesus is in control. Okay. So do you want to kind of get us started from the top? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you get creation, and uh, God is in charge, and he clearly says, I'm in charge. Uh, Not everybody understands that. Not everybody follows that. But uh, God is clearly in charge, and he is clearly uh, moving the events around. Uh, That comes up to the point that Israel comes together and says, we want a king. So what is the, the, the pattern that we tend to follow then, roughly from Genesis 1 down to about... Uh, for Samuel, and this is what you would Samuel this, eight, and this is what you would call a theocracy. This is a theocracy. Yeah, God is in charge. God is in control. Theo, uh, being there's God. Theo being God, yeah. and Crossy being uh, I. I actually don't know what that means, but I, I assume it means rule. rule. Yeah, it's got to yeah, be. Uh, God is ruling. What he does, the pattern that seems to be repeated over and over and over again is he calls out individuals. There are heroes during this time. That's when you get men like, uh, well, Adam and uh, Noah. You get Abraham. Then Abraham's grandson, Jacob, is probably the next hero jumping over Isaac. Isaac always either seems to be Abraham's son or, or Jacob's father. And then Jacob's 11th son, Joseph, becomes the next hero. Yet in the book of Genesis there. Then you have Moses and Aaron. Moses being the real hero there, but Aaron is spoken about quite a bit. And that runs through the end of Deuteronomy when Moses dies. Then you get Joshua. And Joshua very clearly is the next hero, the next 
person that uh, uh, God calls, that God raises up. And after Joshua dies, then you come to the book of Judges. And the book of Judges is the story of 12 heroes. They didn't know what else to call them. They called them Judges because uh, they implemented God's justice on the nations, freeing Israel and uh, punishing the nations that were oppressing Israel. So um, I've been on a kick lately listening to uh, the Bible Project. And every time I start listening to the Bible Project, I really start focusing on like archetypes and like big conceptual ideas, right? And um, right now, I guess my brain is just really in that whole... um, the Old Testament being the story of waiting for the 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 person that's been promised by God, the right. the seed of the woman that's right, going to crush right, the head right, of the serpent. Right. And so, is it fair to say all these heroes that we're talking about that they are all possible prospects at that point in the story as the new serpent slayer, as the new dragon slayer? Yeah, yeah. In fact, Moses, uh, one of the big ones. I mean, you've got basically four books written about. Moses, Exodus, all the way through the end of Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy chapter, I think it's 18, he says, the Lord will give you a prophet like me. Listen to him. Hmm. And um, that's the only time that Moses really identifies himself as a prophet. But he calls out Jesus. He says, uh, there's there's another guy coming. And uh, your role is, is to find him, identify him, and then listen to him, follow him. Yeah. So, yeah, Moses is very definitely sort of a prototype of Jesus. Uh, right. And so the reason I'm asking that is because, you know, I'm looking ahead. You know, next we're going to get into the, the monarchy and we're going to get into, like, right. kings. Right, right. And right. those kings become those, pers- like, prospects well, in a way. And, and here's another one. The guy that ends this period is Samuel. Samuel is the last great hero. Well, who was Samuel? Samuel was uh, given to the priest Eli. So he was a priest, and he offers sacrifices like a priest does. He is a prophet. He's called a seer, Mm. and he leads Israel into battle. He is a king, prophet, priest, king. So the prophet priest-king role kind of becomes who we're going to be looking to in this next chapter after this. I'm not trying to jump ahead. I'm just kind of trying to develop a theme here that I feel like is Well, the prophet-priest-king is where we end up about three sections from now. Um, What you get in this first section is really the hero. So when we're looking at this theocracy, God is... God is... The ruler in this situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's always the ruler. Oh, yeah. Oh, but yeah. The, the perspective seems to well, shift, right? All of these, it's not that you change from this to the next one. It's that you build on top of it. Mm-hmm. So the foundation, God is in control. God is the ruler. God is, theocracy is always there. <clears throat> so I, what it feels like to me, though, that's happening here, too, is that there's like kind of two groups we're talking about. There's God, and then mm-hmm. there's us. Yeah. And in this earliest stage, in this theocracy stage, God is in control. God is ruling. God is reigning. Right. 
humanity seems to be fairly unorganized at this point in time, though. I'd say so, yeah. Is that – yeah? does that make sense? Like it seems like the more humanity develops, the more systems it implements. And And what the Lord does is he brings these heroes – our role then, as somebody who wants to follow God, is to identify the hero. Who is God using? And let's follow him. So, let's, so, let's, no, so no matter where you're at at this time, no matter what, uh, how the world has developed at that point in time, you're looking towards the guys that are saving the day, living as these like, as God's warriors. Yeah, yeah. And you get that in the literature. Uh, Moses goes into Egypt and leads Israel out of Egypt. But what we miss, there are eight to ten different passages uh, from Exodus through Deuteronomy that says that there were a number of Egyptians that went with Israel. They identified Moses as the hero they wanted to follow. Now, they weren't always good news. Uh, Sometimes they were the one that started complaining about, eh, you know, we had it better when we were in Egypt. Well, yeah, if you were Egyptian, you had it better when you were in Egypt. But uh, the Hebrew nation had it pretty lousy. <laughs> um, you come to the the uh, time of the Judges, and at the end of the book of Judges, you get Ruth. Ruth happens during the book of Judges. It says that in the opening verse. Uh, that uh, during the judges, there was a man. And uh, Ruth is a Moabitess. Uh, Naomi and uh, her husband leave Israel during a famine. They go and they live in Moab, where both of their sons marry, and then the sons die, and then the father dies, Elimelech dies. And uh, now it's Naomi and her two daughters-in-law. Naomi starts back home, probably thinking, I might as well go back and die. Uh, One daughter-in-law leaves her and one stays. That's Ruth. Uh, They go back, and through a long series of events, uh, Boaz meets Ruth, falls in love with Ruth. They marry They have a child, literally, that Naomi raises as her son to take over for uh, uh, the sons uh, that that died to her. That son was Obed, whose son was Jesse, whose son was King David. So, literally, King David's grandma is a Moabitess which is interesting. You find the person, you find the hero to follow. Um, All Ruth knew was that she loved Naomi. When she got to Israel, she met Boaz, and Boaz was a man of virtue. And she latched on to Boaz, and two generations later, King David is born. Hmm. So we're we're looking for you're saying hero, but also what's kind of entangled in that is like a virtuous man of God or woman of God. Yes, like the person who is in alignment with God's character, or at least they are listening to, to God. They are performing God's will. 
in the book of Judges, it gets really wonky because you have Samson. <laughs> well, yeah. Did he, was he really listening to God? I'm not so sure. And yet when you get to the New Testament in the book of Hebrews, it talks about the faith of Samson. So there's, there's more than just there's Samson. There's more than meets the eye. Yeah. Right, right. But that makes sense. Okay. So that's theocracy? That's theocracy. And it's interesting, during Samuel's rule, prophet, priest, and king, as leader, Israel comes to Samuel and they literally say to him, your sons aren't like you. We don't trust your sons. And from what scripture says, uh, they were right. They should not trust Samuel's sons. Uh, they were bad guys. Uh, Israel says, give us a king like everybody else. And the Lord comes to Samuel and says, Samuel, it's okay. Give them a king. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. Now, that is really important in this, uh, in this outlook on history because it's God saying, okay, they're done with theocracy. They want to move on to monarchy. It doesn't invalidate the fact that God's in control. God is still pulling the strings, but now, instead of heroes, he's raising up kings. And prophets for those kings. And prophets right. to speak to those kings, to try to keep them on the straight and narrow. Because the one thing we see about the kings is they're not always good people. Is it fair to point out, though, I feel like God begrudgingly allows the monarchy. Uh, the, uh, monarchy. You know, I uh, I'm stopped a long time ago trying to figure out what is actually in God's mind. But uh, yeah, if if I had been God, I would have said, you want a king, I'll give you a king. Well, that's kind of how it feels, though. Like yeah. he tells them like, OK, yeah, you can have this, but you're going to get taxed. Right. You're going to, he starts now, like laying out all the cons. You of this. pointed out to me uh, that there is a passage, in, is it in Leviticus or, or somewhere, where God lays out this is what the king is supposed to read oh, every day of his the life. Scroll. The scroll. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Where's it's, that? Uh, it's either in Leviticus or Numbers. Okay. Hold on. Scroll. So, so look for that. At, at, what, what we're looking for is a passage that uh, Zach came across where even before there were ever any kings, the Lord said, uh, when, uh, when we get to the, to the, the promised land, you're going to want a king. And just be careful what you ask for. That king can be this way and that way. He can tax you. He can, he can rule over you. He can uh, do things for himself. But, the king should do this. And he just kind of lays out uh, uh, what the king should do. And the Lord then says, now, he needs to read this every day of his life so he doesn't forget what it is that he's supposed to do. Did you find it yet? I think so. Um, yeah, when you enter the land, uh, so it's, Deuteronomy 17, uh, 14 through 20. Uh, when you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you and have taken possession of it and settled in it, 
and you say, let us set a king over us like all the nations around us, be sure to appoint over you a king the Lord your God chooses. He must be from among your fellow Israelites. Do not place a foreigner over you, one who is not an Israelite. The king, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them. For the Lord has told you, you are not to go back that way again. He must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of gold, uh, silver and gold. When he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law taken from that of the Levitical priests. It is to be with him, and he is to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees and not consider himself better than his fellow Israelite and turn from the law to the right or to the left. Then he and his descendants will reign a long time over his kingdom in Israel. The third king of Israel is King Solomon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now let me read from 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 26. Solomon built up a huge force of chariots and horses. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horses. We're off to a bad start. <laughs> verse 28, Solomon's horses were imported from Egypt. So they're foreign horses. They're looking at this passage and saying, look what Solomon did. Next chapter, King Solomon loved many foreign women. Besides Pharaoh's daughter, he married women from Moab, Ammon, Eden, Sidon, from among the Hittites. The Lord had clearly instructed the people of Israel, you must not marry them. They'll turn your hearts to their gods. But Solomon insisted on loving them anyway. He does everything he's not supposed he, to. He, it's, it's like the author of First Kings goes through that list and says, nope, uh, nope, uh, nope, nope. <laughs> he right. just checks it all off, and he writes it all down. Here's what Solomon did. Um, I forget which podcast. I think it was Hanad Cosmos I was listening to. Okay. And they mentioned that Solomon, when he built his palace, he put lions on the steps of his palace. Mm. The lions were a symbol of kingly authority in the other nations, not in Israel. Israel wasn't supposed to make images of animals. Oh, yeah. But Solomon does, just like the other kings. They said, I, I don't know if it's that or maybe the Bible Project, but uh, they said, uh, look, it's not that when Solomon got old, he strayed away. He went bad from the very start. He started down the path the wrong way. Yeah, that's interesting. Now, you mentioned the prophets, and it's during the kings that we have the prophets. Now, the prophets appear to have had just very, very close contact with the kings. Isaiah the prophet, in fact, was a cousin to King Uzziah. Um, I'm thinking it's at the very end of First Chronicles that, uh, boy, if this doesn't say that, I'm going to look really bad. First Chronicles chapter 29, verse 29, all the events of King David's reign from beginning to end are written in 
the record of Samuel the seer, the record of Nathan the prophet, and the record of Gad the seer. The prophets were the historians of Israel. They would actually sit in the throne room and they would write down what was taking place. And it gave them access and to a certain degree the authority to speak up to the king and say, now this is what God wants. That's the phrase that comes out of the prophets all the time. This is the word of the Lord. This is what God says. Um, so the, the king is the one who is ruling, but the prophet is there. And the prophet is speaking God's word into the ears of the king. Hmm. So you take that prophet, priest, and king of Samuel, and you split them out now. There are kings, and the kings are not to be priests or prophets. There are prophets. And the prophets are not to be priests or kings, and there are priests. And the priests are typically not prophets, although there are a few exceptions there. God can choose whoever he wants to choose, but they don't rule. Hmm. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like a a proto-body of the church like uh, yeah you know what i mean like yeah. this is that each one has its function each do one your has part, it. exactly but don't yeah. try to be yeah. all of it so if you are following god or you're wanting to follow god during the time of the monarchy what do you do well god is in control you have a choice you can follow the king or you can follow the prophet the prophet is god's mouthpiece follow the prophet you are to respect the authorities. Respect power, the authorities, right? yeah. But I mean, even Jesus does that with the teachers of the religious law. He says, listen to what they say, but don't do what they do. Exactly. Because they're going to lead you down wrong paths through their actions. But you can learn from the scriptures they're teaching you. You know, from And they, the- are, they are no longer expressing God's word unless they're quoting scripture. So right. when they quote scripture... Pay attention. If they're not quoting scripture, eh. doodle. <laughs> Which he does. He gets yes, down and draws he does. In the That's sand. right. He gets down and draws in the sand. You're absolutely right. That's funny. The prophet is always talking about the difference between good and evil. One of the characteristics of the prophet is they have this keen sense of right and wrong, and they call it out. And they're all poets. And they're all poets. <laughs> Well, they're literate. They're some of the few literate people in the country. The average person in Israel at this time doesn't read and write. The prophets do. The prophets write down. That's why there were schools of the prophets. This is where they learned that. They learned music. They learned to read and write. They learned to um, express God's word in poetic fashion. Hmm. Okay. So, okay, where's David fit into this? David is kind of this hybrid because he's a musician. And he's a writer. And he's a writer. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like he could have become a prophet, 
if he had not become king. But it almost seems like God treats David more like a prophet than he does some of the other kings we read about. Well, and you get scripture coming from David. Right. Uh, the book of Psalms. Right. But it seems like God has David's ear much of the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but you also see, we get more of David's story than most kings. You know, true. so that's very maybe, true. Maybe yeah. part of this. We get a book, a whole book on David's life. A couple. Well, second, yeah, yeah, yeah. Half of well, first a lot kings, of it's recounting. Or half of First uh, Samuel and all of Second Samuel is David. Yeah. So I, I don't know. It's just kind of interesting to see that. I, I mean, David is someone who is trying to walk with God, therefore tends to hear from God. And yeah. that's probably the same situation with other kings. We just don't get as much of their story. Yeah, I think so. I think Hezekiah was probably a king like that. King Asa What's, was uh, probably a king like that. What, Jer- Jer- Jared? Jerome? Oh, uh, no, no, no. Josiah. Josiah. Josiah, Josiah yeah. yeah. Yeah, he was a king like yeah. that. Josiah was raised in the temple. There you go. His mother killed all of his brothers the nurse snuck him away when he was still a baby. He was not even a year old. Put him in the temple, and the high priest raised him until he was eight years old. Interesting. <laughs> and then put a crown on his head and said, this is your king. And That's they threw right. Queen right. Mother right. Athaliah out the window. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. Man, yeah. those stories. Isn't that so- wild? Yeah. Well, eight years old, and this is your new king. Well. That kind of happens places today uh, as well. Jehoiada, who was the chief priest, he was the guy pulling the, you know, he was right. pulling the, the 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 strings at that point. He was really in charge, but he stepped aside when uh, Josiah was around 16, 17 years old. He's, He's now age. a man. Yeah. He's of age. He can now rule, and uh, he stepped back into the background, and uh, Josiah was always a very good king. Yeah. yeah. One of the few. One of the few, right. one of the, one of like five or six, I yeah. think. Right. <laughs> well, we come to the end of the monarchy, and the monarchy ends when Babylon comes and takes over Israel. And very clearly in Ezekiel the prophet, in Jeremiah the prophet, uh, in um, Obadiah, I think it is, they say, Israel or Judah is taken into captivity because they disobeyed, because they broke the covenant. They knew very clearly what it was they were supposed to do, and they made an overt choice not to do it. So God came and punished them, and he punished them by carrying them away into captivity. God is still in charge. There is now no king. But you still have the prophets. You still have the prophets, and the kings are all foreigners. And it's interesting, the book of Daniel. Daniel is able to give some decent guidance to some of the kings. Nebuchadnezzar, he gives guidance to Nebuchadnezzar, and there is a short section in the book of Daniel where Nebuchadnezzar talks in glowing terms about God's sovereignty and says, God is truly in charge. He is truly in control. Then you have his son, uh, I think it's Belshazzar, and Daniel just barely even talks to him. That's when you get the finger writing on the wall, yeah, and Belshazzar says, What does this mean? Person. And 
Daniel basically says, you don't know, you don't want to know what it means. <laughs> what is it? What's it right? Mene, 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 tekel ufarsin. And it means uh, you have been weighed, you have been found wanting, and so your days are numbered. Your end is coming, dude. <laughs> and you can kind of get Daniel's, by now Daniel's an old man, and he doesn't care anymore. <laughs> so he said, you're probably going to kill me as a result of this. That's fine. Go ahead. <laughs> I like. I like that. It's like even the like biblical heroes get old and jaded. <laughs> you know? like, I'm tired. But they're man. still prophets. They right. still are speaking God's word right up to the very end. Yeah. Now you get that through Malachi. The last prophet is about eh, 480 years before uh, BC, before mm-hmm. the birth of Christ. So you get this long period where there's nothing. Where they they call it the years of silence, where there's nothing. Oh well, wait. So when it when did Ezekiel? Ezekiel live? is during the exile. He is a prophet in Babylon. When is that? That is around uh, five eighty seven to about five hundred. And that's when God's presence leaves the temple, correct? Yeah. yeah so from yeah. five hundred some right BC to AD, right? There is to zero. Yeah. God's to presence Jesus has birth. has removed Himself. Yeah. 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 Interesting. And that's the way things look. Now we call that period Second Temple, the Second Temple, Judaism uh, specifically or the second temple period. We do that because um, King Solomon's temple is the first temple. The second temple is built by uh, uh, Nehemiah, Zerubbabel, uh, who is of the line of David. He is uh, Judean. And when they return, he is made the governor. He doesn't carry the title king. He's made governor. And from now on, there really is no true king of Israel. The next person to claim the title of king of Israel, you know who it is? It's actually Herod, the Samaritan. He is named king of Israel by the Roman Senate. Now, this is the, this is the Herod from the birth of Christ story. This is Herod the Great. Which is different from Herod, Herod Antipas. During Jesus' is, ministry. Right, that's right, two different right, Herods. right. Although uh, Herod Antipas is also called King of the Jews, yes, uh, he's he's given that title. His dad had it. Now he carries it forward. I don't know if the Senate actually gave it to him, or if, or if Herod the Great said, uh, "I don't think Herod the Great did." He may have just said, "Hey, I am now the King of the Jews." Right. But they weren't Jewish even. No. Remember no. what it said. Don't let a foreigner rule over you. Here's yeah. a Samaritan. Well, how long does that happen, though? Oh, not very long at all. Well, well no, but I'm saying, <laughs> so So wait, so I'm saying we've got, technically, th- throughout the entirety of the xenocracy, right. you're being ruled by foreigners. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, you let yeah. it happen, because yeah. the prophets tried to warn you away the, from this. The reason you're not ruling is because you disobeyed, and God said, if you keep disobeying, I'm going to... I'm going to take away the rule. Mm. And 
they kept on disobeying, and so God did it. So obedience to God is the best way to ensure that a foreigner isn't going to rule over you and invade your land. (laughs) Right, 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 right. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the pattern that we get during the xenocracy, and that's the title that we're giving this age from about 587 when uh, Judah goes into exile in Babylon, you begin to have the formation of groups, cults, Mm. sects, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) S-E-C-T-S. One of the first ones that you get are the Hasmoneans. Hasmoneans were a family of priests. Uh, There was a very evil uh, leader of Israel. His name was uh, 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 Antiochus IV, also known as, oh, name will come to me in a couple of minutes. Uh, But he was a bad guy. He wanted to take Judaism and turn it over to Greece. He wanted Jewish uh, towns to become um, Greek towns. So he put a gymnasium in each one. I think I told you this before. But uh, he would actually have surgeons reconstruct a foreskin on Jewish men because in the gymnasium you exercised nude and he didn't want a sign of Jewishness to be there. He burned Torahs. That's why uh, about the oldest uh, manuscript that we have is around the second century BC because uh, uh, this fellow burned uh, all of the Torahs that he could find. Uh, outlawed Judaism, and he had pigs sacrificed in the temple. Yeah. Well, this is the Maccabean revolt. This right? is the Maccabean revolt. Okay. Uh, they they came in. It was the second time they came in to sacrifice pigs. The high priest refused to do it, and so. Uh, uh, th- this fellow, uh, he had sent emissaries to have the pig sacrificed. A uh, high priest refused to do it, so they killed the high priest. Second guy standing there was Judas uh, of the Hasmonean family. And uh, they said, you sacrifice the pig. So he took his sword out and he killed them. <laughs> killed the pig too, not on the altar. Then he broke the altar because the altar had been desecrated. And then he went around all all Israel and reinstituted. They uh, circumcised uh, males who had not been circumcised. They took whatever Torahs they had that were in hiding, and they began reduplicating them and spreading them. They began to teach. And uh, Judas now went out and began to organize pretty much a a guerrilla-type warfare against uh, the Greek armies at this stage. So, okay, okay. Um, This kind of concept, does this eventually um, 
is this where the zealots kind of form, form yeah, out we're of? We're going to come to them. Okay, we're going to come gotcha. to them. But yeah, very much so. They carry on that Hasmonean zeal. Now, it's because he forms the army that he's called Maccabees, Judas Maccabees. And uh, his whole family comes to be known as the Maccabean family. The hammer. Maccabee is the hammer, yeah. So uh, his sons were known as hammers as well. He was killed in war pretty much three or four years into all of this. And his sons carried it on, and they did a pretty good job. And uh, they organized. Typically what they would do, the sons, one of them would rule the civil side of things, and one would rule the army side of things. And uh, they actually got freedom from uh, from uh, Antiochus IV. And, uh, yeah, uh, uh, Israel was granted recognition before the government, which at this point I think... Uh, Alexander was long dead. This was now uh, either uh, the Ptolemides from Egypt or uh, the other group that lived up near Babylon. Uh, the name's uh, slipping right now. But it starts this movement of forming cults. The next one to form are probably the Pharisees. About a hundred years later, uh, the Maccabees no longer have any sons that are worthwhile ruling so they ruling so they have a woman who says well i 'll rule, and she needs counselors. The Pharisees are forming at about this time she goes to them and at the start, the Pharisees were actually a good movement. they were all about let 's go back to the torah let 's understand scripture and uh, gave her good counsel, and she actually was a good ruler. Well, after the Pharisees, you have the Sadducees that form sort of as an opposing political party. Yeah. They, they are... They're more materialist. They're very much more materialist. They're the capitalists. Um, it's interesting. Uh, today, uh, what I've heard is that modern Judaism traces itself to the Pharisees but it is Sadducean in theology 100%. and character. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, you have uh, the Essenes at about this time. Now, they develop around the Sea of uh, the Dead Sea. Mm -hmm. um, they form a community called Masada, which when the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D., the Roman army next went to Masada mm -hmm. and took over that fortress. And that was kind of the end of the Essenes, but all of the Dead Sea Scrolls basically come from the Essenes. They're interesting. So they're much more mystical. They were a hub for orphans and runaways. Yep, yep, yep. yep. Kind of monks. Personally, I think that's where St. Paul went when he left Damascus. And was in the desert for three years. He, he said, I went to the desert for three years to study. Well, how would you study in the desert? Well, you go to the Essenes. Uh, the time period fits. They had uh, all kinds of texts from the Old Testament. And Paul also caught some of the other uh, literature that they were writing at the same time. So he comes back with some uh, knowledge of uh, what the Essenes were about. The Zealots. 
The Zealots were another group. When Rome took over from Greece, Rome becomes the next Xenos to rule. Uh, the, um, uh, the Zealots were actually trying to organize Israel to fight Rome. This is like your, Just sh- like your, your new Maccabean revolt. It's your new Maccabean revolt. At the same time, you have the formation of the Sicarii. Uh, Sicarii means uh, the knife carriers. And uh, they were essentially assassins. They focused more on prominent Judeans, prominent Jews, that they felt were leading Israel toward Rome. And they would assassinate them. So it's kind of two groups doing, having the same goal in mind, but attacking different populations. Right, right. And then you have the scribes. The scribes were another cult. Uh, They were uh, the teachers of the law or the writers. Maybe rather than cult, I mean, can we call these political movements? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that fits. Cult makes it sound like they're like like religious Kool-Aid and chilling. Let me give you another cup of Kool-Aid there, (laughs) laced with rat poison. Um, So, yeah. And that's where Christ is born. Right. Once Christ comes, you're kind of back to theocracy. Right. But you don't lose any of the other things. Heroes are still big. God still uses heroes. Uh, Paul becomes a hero. Peter becomes a hero. James becomes a hero. And you kind of rally around the hero. Prophets continue to speak. Now, now they're called apostles. But there are people who carry God's word. It, it, it's interesting, though, that the kingship has now shifted back to Christ. Yeah, he's reclaimed that for himself. Yeah, yeah. I'm him. I'm oh, just, yeah. just me. You know, he's making it very clear. And then the priesthood gets moved to every believer in Christ. Yeah, it does. And the and prophecy really just becomes a gift of yeah. those priests. God speaks to us. Yeah. And he uses people just like us to do it. Right. And we're all to have that access to the history, yeah. to the, yeah. like, so we all kind of take up this prophet-priest role in a way. So what's the new pattern that we see in the Christocracy? It's the church. Before we get there. Okay. So at Rome, you have the downfall of, of Israel. Yeah. After Christ, right? Right, right. That's the diaspora, correct? Yeah, and the diaspora is not just the Jewish diaspora, but the church diaspora as well. Right. Uh, Acts 1.8 is you'll be witnesses to the ends of the earth. Acts 8.1 is and they were scattered abroad. (laughs) Well, something, something I wanted to point out about this is, you know, so now you've got all these people groups scattered. Right. Right. So now you've got Christians everywhere. Yeah. You've got Jews everywhere. Yes. But just to kind of show that even though, you know, God probably would have preferred that we would have just had him king the entire time, right? 
Yeah, I think so. Right? That's what that's the goal, right? That's the God the goal. is goal. The, the God and is God. God is king. To that. Right, right. That's what he's gotten back to. But even though we drifted, it's this is kind of the God uses your evil for good kind of thing. The the Hellenization of the world through Alexander the Great made sure everybody now speaks Greek. Yeah. It which is what the Bible the is door. written in. Right, the New Testament is written in Greek. Yeah. Right, so now we've got access to the scriptures in Greek, and guess what everybody reads? Greek. So now the world is like primed yep. to receive Christianity, yep. Yep. and it's through the xenocracy, through the Hellenization of the world, you know. God has been in charge all along. He's been pulling right. the strings behind the scenes. Right, back to that 4D chess thing, you know, yep. like that he knows exactly what he's doing even when we screw it up or try <laughs> to screw it up, I should say. And sometimes even our screw-ups become part of his plan. <laughs> Bingo, right, right. So, um, yeah, so I just kind of wanted to get that in there because I feel like yeah. that kind of – segues into the, okay, well, now Christianity can be adopted into the entirety of the world, right? Yeah. yeah. So Christocracy. So now the big pattern is the church. Now, we talk about the big C church, the little C church. Little C church is your local uh, building with four walls and a roof. Big C church is the invisible uh, uh, body of all believers as it comes together. We need them both. Well, yeah, I agree with you. But when you get into the big C, little C, it also turns into uh, Roman Catholic versus Protestant. So you have to be uh, careful can, with that. It can. But yeah, yeah. I the know important thing, the important thing, in all of these phases that the world goes through, in none of the phases does it invalidate what has happened before. It builds on it. God is always in control. God, it it's is all always this. a theocracy. Yeah, it's all built up to this. In the monarchy, you get the prophets. God always speaks to us through someone. In the xenocracy, you get groups that are formed. God continues to use groups, and now the Christocracy. You come back to the theocracy. God is. In control now through Christ, you still have the Xenos ruling over small portions of the world, but you don't have world powers like you did before. This is almost like a meta view, like a big picture view of the fall of man. Oh, this is uh, the, the, the meta narrative of not only the fall of man, but the redemption of man. Right. God like, moving to redeem man from his fall. We start with God. Yeah. We turn away from God because we don't want him to be king. We want to be our own kings. Right. So we make ourselves king. But then we realize that doesn't work. So <laughs> then what do we do? We get we end up getting worked over by sin and by the devil. So now right, he's right, the xenocracy right. in our lives, right? Right. We're being, we're being controlled and manipulated yep. by greater forces than ourselves. Yep. And then ultimately we are saved by Christ. Yeah. Right? Like it's, it comes that's wild, yeah, dude. Yeah. yeah so it's playing yeah. on two levels. There's this little picture, big picture. Yeah. It's yeah, individual yeah. and it's the whole. And that's why we need the big C church, you know, the church universal, the, the, the body of all believers. But we need that local church too. We need to be a part 
of a local group. Whether it's a building or not, that's beside the point. But you've got to be connected to somebody. Yes, I agree. I And I don't want to downplay that, but I want to hear more about Christocracy. More about this concept. Can we hash that out a little bit more? Yeah. What do we lack? What? 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 Well, I just feel. We I feel like we gave a really big explanation of all three other groups, and now we're to Christocracy, and we're kind of like, and now there's Jesus, there. yeah, and you, yeah. you know what I mean. But like, this is Jesus is King in the Christocracy. You know, I hadn't thought of this till right now, but under the monarchy, you followed hero, uh, heroes under the. Uh, uh, sorry, under the theocracy, you followed hero, heroes. Under the monarchy, you followed the kings. Under the xenocracy, you looked for the the groups and the prophets. Now we got Jesus. It's just Jesus, <laughs> right? You just follow Jesus, right? Right. That's the the well, y- yes, and his church. Oh yeah, right. Because he chooses to live through his people. So like, well, he calls it his body, right? And dude, I've been really hung up on this one lately. Yeah, like I was thinking about. I think I told you about this yesterday. Uh, listening uh, to Tim Mackey talking about, um, you know, Moses at the at the uh, Red Sea. You know, he he takes his staff. God says, you know, take your staff, strike the water with it. He does, and then the waters are divided. He says, hey, wait, I'll I'll have you go through when 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 I'm ready for you to walk through. Yeah. They go through the river or the sea out the other side. Pharaoh's army drowns, whatever. But when they sing the song about it, they say, and God's right hand did this. But <laughs> Moses did it. And so there's this dualism of like, yeah, it was God, but he did it through Moses. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's Jesus, but he's doing the things he's doing through us. Yeah. We are the body. We it literally says the hands and the feet of Christ. Like we are That's right. We are carrying out what he wants done. And so like there's such an interesting responsibility with that of like hey if if that's my purpose, if I am like imagine like your hand doing something that you didn't tell it to do. <laughs> There are horror shows written on that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like that's oh, yeah. that's insane. But essentially that's what we do when we go against God. Yeah. We're like forcing God's hand in a direction it wasn't supposed to go. Right. And at that point we're not the hand of God at all. We're that's we're, right. we're, yeah. we're aligned with evil. At we're that we're point. part of the Xenos we're, at that point. Yeah, we're part of the bad guys. <laughs> yeah. So like there's a responsibility in that. But two, knowing that there are people out there aligned with Christ as his followers, as his body, as his hands and feet, we can also look to each other to see Christ in one another. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. So, so there is this very tangible, it's not just this ethereal, like, oh, yes, Jesus is with you in this really obscure way that you can't <laughs> actually experience. Like, no, like, look to your brother and sister in Christ, and he's there. He's yes. in them, speaking yes. Through them, maybe sometimes in ways they don't even understand, or vice versa, through you to them, right? Um, but there's a there, we have to be willing participants in that, right? Yeah. Like we we can't uh, um, sort of like rage in the face of what he's called us to do and go right. the other way. Right. We have to participate. But um, yeah, so so that's kind of 
kind of a cool concept. Like it's not just the rule of Christ, it's the rule of Christ with his people. Yes. Which is kind of what he intended back in the garden. So we're we're sort of full circle at this yeah. point. And, and maybe that's why uh, we, we mentioned uh, the gifts when we were talking about the monarchy. Everybody sort of had their position. That continues to be incredibly important, the gifts. We need to figure out what function we play in the church and use that. And when I say in the church, it's not that we do it to each other because it is Christ working through us to make an impact in the world that we live in. Right. And I don't remember if I asked you this on the air or not, but I did ask you this. And it seems to definitely be at play right now. But the idea of did did God – okay, so we know God's all-knowing. He knew that, that we were going to fall. Yeah. He knew we'd sin. And so the question is often like, well, why would he let that happen? But I recently heard somebody say – Maybe God did that because we would have never properly understood his glory had we not seen how he responded to a bunch of fallen monsters like ourselves, huh. but that he responded with grace and love and mercy and his own death for us to save us, right? Yeah. Like, like that the glory of God is perfectly seen now through the fall. Does it go the same for oh, this that cycle? Makes sense. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like it starts with the theocracy of mm-hmm, God. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And now we're back to Christ, but all that stuff in the middle reminds us why it's so good to be here with him. Right. You know what I mean? Like we we've seen what happens in the world when we're under the rule of foreigners. We've seen what happens when we try to rule ourselves. We've seen what happens when we don't let God be king. So now God, please be king. Yes. <laughs> like, please be king. I can't do it. We can't do it. The world can't handle it. We fall apart. That makes sense. This is cool. Yeah. Thanks for so. uh, for doing all the legwork on this one, man. There we go. Uh, it's kind of fun to just do some random commenting on this one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right on. Do you have anything else? No, I think that's enough. <laughs> that was a lot, but that was good. That was really good. All right. Well, guys, thank you for listening to this episode. Uh, thanks for hanging out with us here at Salty Saints. If you've got questions or want to send us an email or whatever, uh, first of all, you can just get online on our website. It's saltysaintspodcast.com. That is correct, right? That is correct. Okay, I got it. I got it right. I think I get it right every time, but I'm always afraid I didn't. Um, But yeah, you can find all of our newest episodes on there. You can find our episodes on lifeaudio.com as well. Uh, But on our website, yeah, you can send us emails. You can send us voice recordings, prayer requests, whatever you've got going on right now. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you for listening. Get over there to lifeaudio.com. Check them out. They are our pals. They are our partners in crime. And they've got a lot of really cool uh, podcasts over there for you to check out on various topics about life and um, a biblical worldview as well. So until next time, stay salty. Do you ever hear sayings make their way through the culture and the church that seem nice in theory, but are actually theologically problematic? My name is Shara Donahue, and I'm the host of The Bible Never Said That, a podcast where we examine these popular sayings under the lens of biblical truth. We cover sayings like, God won't give you more than you can handle, time heals all wounds, and follow your heart. We also spend time exploring how people use Bible verses out of context 
If you want to grow in discernment and truth, join us and subscribe at lifeaudio.com.